Good morning. Um, thank you all for having me this morning. Uh, my name is Dan Passarelli. Uh, I am one of the pastors at Chapelgate uh, out in Ellicott City. I'm also uh, the president of Metro Baltimore Seminary. Uh, we have about 50 students studying uh, to become pastors and leaders and um, growing in their, their ability to share the gospel of Jesus in our region. Uh, we're very excited uh, about the work that uh, they're all doing and the ministries God has given them. Um, and uh, if you have any questions about Metro Baltimore Seminary, I'd love to chat with you all after uh, about that. Uh, it's something I'm very passionate about. Um, but more than that, I'm passionate about uh, seeing Jesus formed in our lives and in our hearts. Uh, and so this morning, uh, I want to share with you from uh, Luke chapter 10. Uh, I'm glad to be able to, to be with you all today, glad that you've been able to give Patrick uh, a bit of a break to refresh and recharge uh, as he leads you all, uh, and uh, glad that he's coming back next week, so I'm sure you all are as well. Um, but uh, this morning, I want to talk uh, about a story that may be familiar to some of you, uh, the parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it's, it's a story that's known even outside of the church uh, that, you know, that term Good Samaritan uh, is often used to somebody who uh, stops and gives aid to a stranger. Uh, we even have Good Samaritan laws, don't we, that, that are supposed to protect somebody uh, who maybe helps a stranger and, you know, um, you know they, they maybe want to sue them afterwards because they didn't want help. But we have those laws. And I think um, the fact that we even need a law like that points to something in the parable that touches on an important aspect of what it means for us uh, as we follow Jesus and why we desperately need to be reminded each week of God's grace for us. Because uh, the story is not just a story about giving help to a stranger. It's not just about being a nice person or a good person. It's about the need to be reconciled, to have relationship restored with one another and with God. Uh, and it's a story about an enemy becoming a neighbor. And the only way that can happen is if we have a big view of God's grace at work in our lives and in the world. So let's listen to God's word this morning. Uh, this is Luke chapter 20, uh, sorry, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. Hear now God's word. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, 
Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have not left us to stumble around in the dark wondering who you are, but you have come to us. You have given your word to us. You have given your spirit so that we can understand and so that we can see your son Jesus clearly. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your message this morning. And whatever is in us as a community, whatever is in me uh, as a speaker that would keep us from hearing from you, we ask you to break through so that we would meet you this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So um, the Olympics are in full swing. Don't know if you're a follower of the Olympics, uh, but I am. I love, I love most of it, actually, the swimming, the diving, beach volleyball, gymnastics, um, even some of the more obscure sports like archery and, and surfing, you know, all that stuff. Love it. Um, and when I was a kid, I used to really get into it. Um, and uh, I remember feeling like, you know, the American athletes were always like the good ones, right? And, and anybody that was a rival of the American athletes were always bad. And, you know, especially if they came from countries that were sort of seen as rivals to America, you know, they were, you know, like, uh, like Russia, you know, the Russian athletes, you know, and I always had this sort of innate distrust and loathing of them, you know, and assuming if they won, if they beat an American, well, it must be because they cheated somehow, right? Like, that was just the assumption going on. Now, the truth is, I mean, sometimes they did. I mean, even in these Olympics, right, the, the Russian athletes have to compete under the Russian Olympic Committee because of the doping scandal, right? But, I mean, the reality is sometimes American athletes have cheated too. And, and for most of them, the vast majority of them, they're all just kids trying to represent their country and do the best that they can. But the human condition is to take something like sports that's supposed to bring people together and actually use it to draw lines, to create divisions, um, to, to, to label the good us and the bad them. Uh, and sometimes that plays itself out in, in areas and issues that are a little bit more serious and a little bit, uh, have, a, have a bigger impact on our lives, right? Sometimes the dislike goes a little bit deeper uh, and it becomes hatred. You know, think of the anger that's so quick to flare uh, when we talk about, you know, politics, you know, and especially what the other side is, is trying to do and how they're just destroying our country, whoever the other side is, right? Um, sometimes real injustice has been done and, and we have every reason to hate the other side. Uh, you know, whether it's a person who hurt us individually or, or a group of people that have just abused their power uh, to hurt those who are weaker, what do we do with the divisions that are among us? How does an enemy become a neighbor? The parable of the Good Samaritan speak to this, speaks to this, but it does so not by giving us an example of how to be nice people, how to be good to those we don't like, but by calling us to an impossibly high standard that forces us to see God's unlimited grace as our only hope. 
So the lawyer comes to Jesus in verse 25, and he puts Jesus to the test. He asks him a question. Now, it was a good question. What must I do uh, to inherit eternal life? Um, but but it's, it's really meant to catch Jesus out. Hopefully, the lawyer is hoping Jesus will show that he's teaching something contrary to the law. But Jesus turns the question around, and he says, well, you're a lawyer. You're an expert. What do you think? How do you read the law? And he says, love God and love your neighbor. Uh, Jesus himself had answered very similarly on another occasion. This is the summary of the law. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So they're in agreement, but Jesus now sort of has the upper hand, right? And he says, oh, you've answered well. Do this, and you will live. Uh, but the lawyer wants to justify himself. I don't think he wants to just um, sort of show that he knew what he was talking about. I think justify himself means he wants to put himself back in that position of judging Jesus, of evaluating whether what Jesus says is right. So he asks another question, and this one is a little trickier. He says, and who is my neighbor? Now, there was some debate about who your neighbor was. There's, there's legitimacy in some ways to this question. And, um, and Jesus certainly has shown himself to be prone to spending time with people who, you know, shouldn't fall into that category of neighbor. Um, generally, uh, in the Old Testament, and those who understood the, the Old Testament law, it was understood that for the Jews, your neighbor was one of your own. Uh, Leviticus 19 verses 17 and 18 says that your neighbor is your brother and the sons of your people. It was, it was a fellow Jew who was your neighbor and you're obligated to help them. But you weren't necessarily obligated to help somebody who was not a Jew. Uh, there was one stream of like rabbinical teaching that actually said if you helped somebody who was found out to be a sinner or an enemy of your people, you would actually be guilty of whatever they did after you helped them. So you better not. Um, just like for me, there was this innate distrust of you know, the Russian athletes. There's this innate distrust built into this interpretation of the law of the Gentiles, of those others out there. And what the lawyer's really asking is, who can I put in that category of people I don't have to help? Who can I legitimately avoid? Who do I have to call neighbor and who can I dismiss? And we do that all the time, sometimes even unconsciously, when we label people and then dismiss them because of those labels. You know, politically, we use all kinds of labels like fascist, socialist, nationalist, crazy liberal, and not simply to describe somebody's political views, but to dismiss them, to ridicule them, to put them in that category of somebody I don't like, the group that it's, not, that it's okay not to help. Because if I have to care about them and their well-being, if I have to love them, no way. And that's the problem with asking, who is my neighbor? By trying to define who is and is not a neighbor, the lawyer is really seeking to limit his obligations. Remember, the original question is about, what must I do to inherit eternal life? It's about what's required to keep God's law that leads to life. And he wants to know where the line is. The problem 
is that the lawyer thinks if he can identify the line, he can keep from crossing it. The reality is he's misjudged both God's standard and his ability to keep it. And in doing that, he misses God's grace. He, he wants to know where's the line so I don't cross it, not realizing that he's already so far past the line he can't even see it. Uh, one of my favorite all-time scenes in what I think is the greatest TV show ever, Friends, um, used to watch it every Thursday night with Jeff, Jeff Hines uh, at, uh, at Towson. Um, but uh, one of my favorite scenes, two of the friends, Joey and Chandler, are having an argument. And Chandler has kissed Joey's girlfriend. And he knows he's done wrong. And he says, I, I know, I'm sorry. I know I went over the line. And Joey responds, over the line? You're so far past the line, you can't even see the line. The line is a dot to you. That's our problem. That's the problem that the lawyer faces. And Jesus tells this story of the Good Samaritan in order to set an impossibly high standard that can only be embraced by looking to God's unlimited grace for those who are so far past the line, the line is a dot to you. Now, much of the story that Jesus tells would have been familiar to his hearers. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a dangerous one. Robbers were fairly common. Uh, priests and Levites traveling to and from Jerusalem was to be expected as well. They had to do that when it was their turn to be on duty at the temple. And even their treatment of the man uh, who's on the side of the road, while to us it may seem shocking that a priest and a Levite would pass by, to Jesus' hearers, that might actually have been expected. In fact, they may have actually even approved of the priest and the Levite walking by. Here's why. Uh, both of them are religious leaders. They're expected to act in accordance with the law, and they're clearly in that category of a neighbor uh, to Jesus' hearers. They were, in fact, they were sort of the best of them. Uh, and the guy on the side of the road, Jesus doesn't tell us who he is. We, we actually don't know anything about him, uh, except that he's been stripped, beaten, and left half dead. And a couple of those, those uh, details are actually really important. The fact that he's been stripped means he doesn't have any clothes on that can identify who he is. It would have been very easy to identify somebody as a Jew or a non-Jew simply by looking at what they were wearing. But he didn't have any clothes on. So there's no way to tell if he's a neighbor who's obligated to be helped or not, if he fits into that category of one of us. Um, and because he's half dead, he's unconscious, and it, it, it looks like he might actually be dead. Uh, and here's the thing, if a priest or a Levite touched a dead body, actually if anybody touched a dead body, they would uh, incur uncleanness because of that body. The law was very clear on that. So it's not clear whether they're obligated to help him, but it is clear that they're required to avoid becoming unclean. So you could argue that they actually did what was required of them. But sometimes you can be right and miss the point. And they missed the bigger point of God's grace by doing only what was required. They, they clearly would have been seen as neighbors to Jesus' hearers, but on the road, 
they proved not to be neighbors to the man in need. And I guess what I want to say here is that avoiding the need in others starts by avoiding our own need. If you find yourself avoiding the people that bring their needs before you, if you find yourself avoiding the people that really you just don't want to be around, um, it's probably because you're avoiding the need that exists in your own heart. If you think you're doing okay, fulfilling your own obligations, doing what's required of you, then you're not gonna have much compassion for those who are needy around you, for those who see the world differently, for those who are maybe even wrong. (laughs) But Jesus didn't come for those who do their duty. He didn't come for the rule followers. He didn't come for those who have just crossed the line a little bit. He came for those who are so far past the line, the line is a dot to them. He came for the very people who are so wrong that there aren't enough labels to label how wrong they are. Jesus came to seek out his enemies, to love them by taking on all of those labels, all of those names, all of those things that that name the sin and the failure that is in them. And he takes them on himself and he puts it to death on the cross so that no label, no name could ever stick to anyone who trusts in Jesus. No matter how true it might be, no label apart from the one that God gives to you, loved. We sang about that. I'm loved by you, it's who I am. That's the label that sticks. And this is the big grace of God that the priest and the Levite missed by simply doing what was required. And it's the big grace that even the lawyer missed by by trying to limit who he's supposed to take care of. Jesus came not to limit God's grace to only his neighbors, to those who were already close to him, but to throw wide the doors and to bring in his furthest enemies and to make them neighbors, to make them more than neighbors, children, sons, and daughters of God. That's the power of God's grace that's evident in the third man on the road. The Samaritan on the road was an unfamiliar character in that story. I mean, everybody knew who a Samaritan was. He just wasn't supposed to turn up in that story, at least in that way, in that role. They were, Samaritans were hated by everybody. The Roman rulers saw them as just another sect of the the Jews. The Jews saw them as polluters of the true worship of God. not just because they refused to worship in Jerusalem, which is true they did, but uh, the, the, the historian Josephus says that there were some, uh, a group of Samaritans actually brought human bones into the temple and scattered them in order to defile the temple. Um, and a, a, a group of Jews responded by going and burning down some Samaritan villages. Uh, so there was real like animosity and hatred that, that boiled over into physical violence between them. He was an enemy, there was no question about it. And if he had been the one who was hurt on the side of the road, Jesus' hearers would have been under no obligation to stop for him, but he stops. He was the enemy, but he stops. And in stopping, he becomes a neighbor. He has compassion on the man that he sees. He cares for him, binds his wounds, puts him on his own animal, and takes him to an inn. 
And he gives the innkeeper two days wages to take care of him. And and then he gives him a blank check. He says, whatever else you need, whatever else you spend, I'll pay for it. Now, innkeepers were notoriously unscrupulous. They couldn't be trusted. Uh, and, And yet here he was not seeking to limit his obligation, but he sort of throws it as a wide open obligation. Whatever you spend, I'll pay for it. Whatever he needs, I will cover. This is what God does for us in Jesus. He takes his enemies, because like it or not, we, we, that, that one label sticks for all of us apart from Jesus. Sinner, enemy of God. And he says, whatever they owe, I will pay. That's what Jesus does. He pays whatever we owe. Now, Jesus asked the lawyer, who proved to be a neighbor to this man? And of course, the lawyer says, well, obviously the one who took care of him. He can't even bring himself to say the Samaritan. He says, uh, the, the one who has compassion. And Jesus says, you go and do likewise. This is not just an encouragement to follow the example of the Samaritan by being a nice person, by being a good person. This is Jesus setting an impossibly high bar that forces us to look to the power of God's big, unlimited grace that makes it possible. Go and love your enemy. Go and have compassion on the one who mocks you, the one who despises you, the one who abuses your generosity, takes advantage of you at your job, gossips about you, trolls you on social media, whatever else the worst people around us are doing right now, show them mercy. If we're honest, we probably don't even do that very well with the person sitting closest to us. The people that are easy to love, we don't even love them very well right? What about our enemies? This is an impossibly high standard, and it forces us to see the truth that we actually are the enemy. Whatever they have done to us, we have done worse to God. We cannot hope to live up to this. We are in need of his mercy. And I think that's really the key to this parable. What if you and I aren't supposed to be the Levite or the priest or the Samaritan? What if all of us are actually the unnamed person lying helpless on the side of the road? We all love to see those we view as our enemies defeated. You know, we cheer when the other team makes a mistake. We thrill when the other side loses. But do we really move toward the people who are hurting when, we cross, when they cross our path? And do we see ourselves in their pain? because we are the man lying on the road. We are in need of being rescued. We are the ones in need of God's mercy. Now, if you see yourself as the man on the side of the road, it might be tempting then to see Jesus as the Samaritan. He comes along and helps those in need. But what if Jesus is also the man in need? Isn't that the role that he steps into? He is the savior who is helpless, who is hung on the cross, beaten, stripped, and left to die for you and for me. Jesus enters in and takes the place of the helpless. And in doing so, he gives new life. 
This is the power of God's unlimited grace, that God would reconcile his enemies, not simply by being a good neighbor to them, but by actually becoming one of them. The New Testament writer Paul says, he made him, meaning Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus becomes the very thing that is most helpless, most weak, in order to give us life. That is the unlimited grace that gives the power to live as one who no longer looks to divide between us and them, to figure out if one is a neighbor or an enemy, but who actively asks, how can I enter their world, whoever they are? How can I share in their pain and show the mercy that I have received? Go and do likewise. It's less about following the example of the Samaritan and more about grasping the unlimited power of God's grace that Jesus would join you and I in our need in order to heal, to forgive, and to give us life. God's unlimited grace to big sinners gives us the power to move beyond asking, how little can I get away with doing? To move beyond that drive to, to rest when we've done enough and instead to move into the pain, to be a neighbor to whoever God brings across our path. Because in moving towards their need, we recognize our own need and our Savior who entered in with his unlimited grace for us. This is how an enemy becomes a neighbor. Let's pray.